good morning. Man, that was so encouraging to see. We had baptisms in the first service. We recognized and dedicated a lot of babies. And, uh, and then we have some more baptisms coming up in third service. So uh, really exciting to be a part of what God's doing here. And uh, I, it was interesting in that deal. It was noticed like most everybody from Odessa was on this side. And most everybody from Midland was on this side. Man, I mean, we need some diversity up in this place. No, if you're from Odessa, you need to sit on this side. If you're from Midland, you know, let's, let's you know, mix it up. Uh, it's exciting. So glad to have you. If you have your Bibles, open up to Acts 12. We're going to be there in a moment. I'm going to kind of spend this morning setting up some things that are going to come here at Mid-Cities. I want to give you some insight into what we're doing and what God has in front of us, I believe. And um, I want to tie into it. We, I, I'm actually going to talk a little bit here in a moment about prayer. And um, last night... Campbell and I were praying. Campbell's our six-year-old, and and as you know, it's interesting to pray with kids. You know, you just come up with some interesting stuff sometimes. And so we're praying, and I prayed for her, and it's her turn to pray for me. And uh, so she was praying for me and praying for today, and she said, Lord Jesus, I pray for Daddy. I pray that as he preaches, he preaches really short. Amen. We'll see if her prayers are answered here in a few minutes. Um, I want to let you know March 15th, um, starting March 15th, we're going to start a new series on Titus. We're going to read through and study the book of Titus for three weeks. It's three chapters long, and I'd encourage you to maybe be reading through that in advance. Over the next few weeks, begin to read through the book of Titus, familiarize yourself with it. We're going to dive into it uh, as God's letter to a leader, a pastor who uh, navigates things like arguments within the church. What should... Uh, old men be doing, young men be doing, old women be doing, young women be doing within the context of the church, and what is a leadership in the church supposed to look like and model, and so we're going to be talking about that over those weeks, and I hope you'll uh, hope you'll join us for that. Easter is April 5th. Everyone say April 5th. April 5th is Easter, and we're going to want you to know that we're going to have our normal service times that we have here, but we're also going to have two additional times on Saturday night. We're going to have two service times Saturday night. So we're going to need your help. We're going to need many people to help serve on Saturday night. Maybe consider attending one of those services and serving in one of those services. Uh, and then you can like sleep in on Sunday, guilt-free. Um, and some of you others, you may need to adjust your schedule. We just want to create as many opportunities as possible for those to hear uh, the message that we're sharing, the good news of the gospel. Uh, we're starting a new series called Good News. And we're going to talk about how Jesus came to proclaim it. The disciples were sent out to spread it. And the impact of the good news not only has an eternal impact, but it impacts us on this earth. How many of you are surrounded by bad news most all day? Isn't that true? Like turn on the TV, listen to the radio. There's bad news everywhere. And Jesus came to bring life. He came to bring good news. So we're going to be presenting the gospel, the good news. It's going to be a perfect time to bring someone. And I'd encourage you to begin praying about, and we're going to talk about prayer in, in the context of bringing someone in a minute, but pray about bringing a family or friends who, uh, or co-workers who don't know God or far from God or aren't connected to a church. Beginning Easter, for that series, the next three weeks, we're going to be presenting the good news. It's a perfect time to bring someone. Throughout the Bible, uh, people are being brought to Jesus. As a matter of fact, uh, in Luke chapter 5, remember the paralyzed man? He's paralyzed and his friends gather him up, put him on a mat and came and cut a hole in the roof and drop him right in front of Jesus. They bring him to Jesus. And Jesus, what does Jesus do? He first of all forgives his sins. Yeah, they think he's just going to heal him. Jesus forgives his sins. 
he gives him eternity first. And then he heals his body, his life on earth absolutely changed when what? His friends brought him to Jesus, right? Uh, the same is true when we bring our friends. Now, what about, uh, what about in John chapter 1? Oh, Philip finds his friend Nathaniel and says, man, you've got to come meet this guy, Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one. And Nathaniel's like, ah, you know, what, what goods come from Nazareth? No, 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 no. You need to just come and see for yourself. And when Jesus and he meet for the first time, Jesus speaks to him, speaks into his life, and he is radically changed, radically transformed, and his eternity is changed, and his life on earth is changed. That's what happens when we bring people to Jesus. And I want you to be praying about who you're going to bring. A few months ago, during our Big Gift campaign, we, we kind of all took, uh, made commitments. And on that commitment card, we wrote down two or three names of people we're praying for, believing that God wants to reach, that as we reach our community with the gospel, here in our community, and we put those names. And as a, as a reminder, we've taken those 600, 700 names that we accumulated we put the first name, not the first and last, just the first name on a poster board. We have it printed up. We're going to be putting it on the wall in between the buildings. For every time you see it and you walk by that, you're going to be reminded, this person that I'm praying for, I'm praying for a couple people myself, praying for Tony, praying for Brittany. These are people I'm believing God for. Who are you believing God for? And when you, when you that are far from God or don't know God, and when you, when you walk by that, it's going to remind you of them. So... I'd encourage you that maybe it's one of those people that you wrote down that you need to invite to Easter or during that series. And uh, the, the, the reality of it is, do we really need five services at Easter? We could probably honestly cram everybody in three. But I'm believing by faith that at Easter and even beyond, God, as we take this seriously, God is going to, and we bring our friends to Jesus, God is going to do something amazing. So in that light, I want to talk a little bit about prayer because what I want to challenge us to do today is begin to really pray for those individuals that are far from God or don't know God or that, 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 are, that are in a place where um, maybe they're, they've known God at one time, now they're isolated and they're not connected to church and you're praying for them. How do we, does prayer really matter? Is, what is, where is prayer and scripture regarding from that? And I want to, I was reading through Acts 12 and something just gripped me about it. And I want to communicate that with you this morning in our, in our little time that we have together. Um, let me set it up. It's an amazing story what's happened. <clears throat> um, actually, the church has been really growing in Acts. Uh, the, the context of Acts is the growth of the church and what's happening in the church. And um, Jesus had just ascended into heaven. Peter, who never quite knew exactly what to say and when to say it, he kind of always got it wrong. Can you relate to that? He knew exactly what to say when the Holy Spirit came on him at Pentecost. He gets up. 3,000 people come to that church immediately. I mean, we're talking the first mega church right out of the bat. I mean, 3,000 people, they had been following Jesus for three and a half years. Now they're trying to take these 3,000 and spend time with them. Here's what Jesus taught us, and they're getting them. We see Saul, is, uh, who has persecuted them, is converted, and there's excitement about that. We see there's a, a revival. There's not just among the Jews, but among the Gentiles. The gospel is... Peter and Cornelius have these visions of Jesus, and man, the gospel, and Jesus came, it's not just for the Jews, it's for everybody, it's for the Greeks and the Romans and everyone else, and man, things are happening. And then in chapter 7, we see Stephen, something changes in the story. Stephen, one of their brothers, uh, a deacon in the church, Stephen is killed, he's martyred, he's stoned. And man, it gets serious. Uh, Herod Agrippa was beginning to persecute the church. Agrippa, let me give you some 
background, Agrippa was the Herod at the time, Herod, Agrippa, and there's, when you're reading your Bible, there's three Herods. There's Herod the Great, the architect and builder of Jerusalem. He was the guy when Jesus was born, tried to kill all the babies. That's Herod the Great, really great dude. Second one, we have Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the Herod that Jesus went before in his trial. He was the one that Jesus uh, came before in his trial, that after he went to visit Pilate, Pilate sent him to Herod, and this is Herod Antipas. And then we have Herod Agrippa. This is the one here in the story in Acts 12. Herod Agrippa is, um, is an interesting guy. He grew up in Rome. He uh, was sent away to Rome, so his great-grandfather, his grandfather, Herod the Great, wouldn't kill him the way he killed his father. And it's a long, dramatic soap opera story we won't get into. But he becomes friends with all the future, future emperors. Caligula, uh, we see uh, friends with Claudius and and he grows up and is well-connected, and as a result, he gets to be in charge as king over all of this Galilee region at the time of Acts 12. And he wants to stay in good with the Pharisees and the Jews because those are his people, and he needs to keep them happy. He needs to keep them appeased. And according to the Jewish um, historian Josephus, he was about trying to please the Pharisees and trying to please the Jewish leaders at the time. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About this time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now stop for a moment. I want to, there's a couple different James mentioned here. So this is James, the brother of John, the apostle of Jesus. When Jesus would go places and he just had a smaller group, it'd be Peter, James, and John. It's that James, he dies pretty early here in the story and at the hands of Herod. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter as well. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squad, squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Remember that. Verse 6. Now... When Herod was about to bring, uh, bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door was guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in his cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up and said, Get up quickly, get ready for school. That, that's, hold on. That's your teenagers. Hold on. And the chains fell off his hands. Verse 8. And the angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to an iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along the street. Immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went on to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Now pause for a moment, just in this story. So we have, he goes to Mary's house. There's multiple Marys in the, in the Bible. So he defines Mary. Luke, the writer of this book, Acts, he defines Mary. Mary is not some of the Marys you might think. It's Mary, a woman named Mary, who's the mother of John Mark. This is not John the Apostle. This is John Mark, normally referred to as Mark. The Gospel of Mark is written by Mark. He also traveled with Paul and Barnabas in, in Acts. So this is Mary's house. 
the mother of John Mark, verse 13, uh, verse 12, the mother of John Mark, where many were together and they were gathered and they were praying. Here they are, they're gathered up at her house, then they're praying. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Now I love this, this is a wonderful story. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Isn't that great? I mean, he's just escaped from prison, passing all these guards. Rhoda's like, it's Peter. He's like, yes, it's me. And she runs off and leaves him at the gate. That's awesome. Matter of fact, it reminded me, first service, I didn't plan to show, tell the story, but first, it reminded me of a moment in college because, I, I, and I've said this story before, but it, it, it is worth repeating. I, I was parked along 19th Street in Lubbock going to school, and I came back and I noticed that my car was still running, and yet it was locked. I mean, the door was absolutely locked. I could not get in it, and at the time, it was raining. And so I'm standing there on 19th Street with a car that I don't have a cell phone, that is raining, it's locked, and there my fiance Kayla drives by in a red Mustang, sees me on the side of the road and just kind of waves and drives right by and goes to class. <laughs> Can you believe that? She pulled a Rhoda. Not really a point to the story, just fun, interesting fact. You can talk to her after the service if you'd like. Still bitter a little bit. Standing at the gate, verse 15, they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is an angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Now he said, tell these things to James and the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now this is an amazing story. The context of Acts and the context of story, the story is what's happening in the, the church. What is the church doing? Where is the church at? What, what activities is it doing? What, that's the primary kind of purpose of all of this. And this story is a powerful and poignant reminder that God really answers prayers and uses the prayers of his church to advance his purposes in his kingdom. Peter was imprisoned. He was one day away from going to trial, and they had to wait uh, uh, for uh, the feast to be concluded before they would kill him the way they did James. James had just died uh, through difficulty. I mean, these guys were close to James. He had just died. And yet verse 5 says, earnest prayer for Peter was being made to God by the church. Again, it mentions in verse 12, they were gathered at Mary's house. There they were together, gathered in unity, praying and seeing God, that God would act on their behalf. Now listen, there's three things I notice about this. If you're taking notes, just jot them down real quickly. Number one, they prayed through difficulty. They prayed through difficulty. James had just died. They had known James, walked with James. They were familiar with him. They were mourning his loss. He had just passed away. And man, I don't know what that was like. I don't know if they had prayed for James the way they had prayed for Peter, and yet James died and Peter didn't. I'm not sure about all that. Here's what I do know. Man, it's tough sometimes in difficulty when things happen. Normally people either run away from God or they run to God. 
They run to the bottle. They run to the substance. They run to busyness. They run to suppress their emotions, suppress their feelings, all those things. They run to one of those things. Or you run to Jesus. You run to God in prayer. And these guys, in the middle of difficulty, when it got tough, and the circumstances got tough, and their James is dead, they run to prayer. Two times in this passage, they're meeting together to pray. They didn't just pray through difficulty. Number two, they prayed regularly. They prayed regularly. They're gathering. We mentioned twice in this one chapter, they're gathering to pray. They're gathering at a house. We see in Acts chapter 2, they're gathering at the temple. Once the Pharisees started persecuting them, they kind of stopped going to the temple. You know, that's kind of, you know, if you go there and they try to arrest you, you might try to pray somewhere else, right? And so that's what they did. They they'd start going to houses and praying in houses and praying with other people. And they, they prayed regularly. It wasn't just, well, times are tough and James is arrested and Peter's arrested. It's time to get serious about God now. No, no, no. This was a part of their life. They were in prayer regularly. If you read through the book of Acts. Thirdly, they didn't just pray through difficulty and pray regularly. Thirdly, they prayed together. Everyone say together. They prayed together, man. They joined together in prayer. It wasn't just one person alone in a closet. They gathered together and were praying and believing God that God was going to do something and set Peter free. It says their prayers were earnest. When's the last time you and I prayed an earnest prayer? Think about it for a moment. Because I, I do a lot of praying with my kids. Like we pray at night. And I'm a pastor, by the way. <laughs> so, like, you're kind of really expected to pray a lot, you know. I'm, a, I, you know, like, by the way, pastors don't always have to pray. If you're in a meal with them, you can get someone else to do it. It's okay to do that. Like, at every family gathering, I'm, the, like, the professional prayer. Daniel, you go ahead. <laughs> this is your thing, you know what I mean? But the truth, tr isn't that true? Like, like when the last time, because we can get so rote in our prayers, so routine in our prayers, even with our kids, when we're crying out to God in earnestness. God, would you heal my daughter? God, would you, would you come and would you reach my friend who's so far from you, my son who's, who's, who's running away from you? God, would you come? When's the last time we fell on our face and just... Just cried out to God in earnestness. This is the, when it says they were earnestly praying for Peter, it's this kind of prayer. And man, I believe they had faith. But you know what? There was some doubt in there too, and the scripture reveals some doubt. <laughs> because when they, when Herodas says, it's Peter, they're like, no, it must be his ghost. Couldn't really be Peter, he's probably dead. You know, because in the Jewish culture, they believed that you had kind of a guardian angel or a, a, that, that would kind of accompany you and it kind of looked like you. And so after you died, sometimes they would appear to different people. This is kind of a, came along with some of their belief. So some of them, not all of them were actually, they didn't have filled with faith. Sometimes you just got a little faith. You're not filled with faith. You just got a little faith and you have a whole bunch of need and you just cry out to God. That's where they found themselves. And then the prayers that they prayed Prayed together with other people in earnestness. Prayers can listen, church. As you read through scripture, you'll discover. Prayer sets captives free. Prayer opens cell doors. Prayer breaks off chains. Prayer releases God's angels. Prayer allows us to participate in what God is doing today. Prayer is, 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 is so powerful and effective when we join together to see his purposes and his plan move forward. Would Peter have been freed without them praying? 
That's an interesting question. I don't know. Scripture says they did pray and he did get set free. What about times when I prayed and God doesn't answer? I don't have an answer to that. They may have prayed for James and James died. I don't have an answer to that. Here's what I do have an answer for. God set it up to where our prayers matter. They're significant. There's something about when we intercede for others, when we pray for one another, it not only does something in us, but it affects change in the world around us, and it even affects eternity. And it made me just wonder, what if we as individuals and as a, as a corporate body, what if we as a church prayed for those who are far from God and don't know God, those family and friends that we're believing God for, what if we really prayed with faith? What if we prayed for them the way Jesus prayed in John 17 before he goes to the cross? And he's praying for those believers who would one day believe. What if we stopped believing and praying that God would change their behavior? And what if we asked God to change their heart today? What if we really engaged God and said, God, I don't, I'm not even just praying that they come to church. I'm praying that you radically transform their life, that you make the, their heart your home. God, I'm asking you, I'm praying like Jesus in John 17, that they're going to be believers one day. Just like Jesus was praying for those who would, are not, were not believers at the moment, but would be, we're praying for them as if they're coming into the family of God. What would that look like? What would it look like on Easter or during that whole series of good news or any Sunday where I believe someone comes in and a Rhoda busts into our service and our prayer moment and says, hey, somebody's here, they're, they're here, our prayers are answered. Somebody's been set free, the captives have been set free. Those that have been isolated are now joined, rejoined with us in unity. Those that are, have been bought into the lies and self, man, they are free. What if we prayed regularly? What if we prayed daily? And here's my challenge to you and me as we close. Here's my challenge. Let's pray through difficult times. Let's pray specifically for those that are lost or far from God that we're reaching out with the gospel. Let's pray through difficulties. Because here's what I know. As soon as you leave here and go, I'm going to reach out to my friends. I'm going to bring them to Easter. I'm going to, I'm going to connect with them. I'm going to share the gospel with them. As soon as you decide to start praying for them, you're going to get busy. As soon as you decide it, you're so excited, and your wife's going to say something that rubs you the wrong way. Y'all are going to get an argument on the way home from church, because that's where they happen, or a marriage conference, one of the two. And you're gonna, and you're gonna get frustrated, and the enemy's gonna, and all, and the little seed that God planted, the seed of I'm going to pray for them, I'm going to stand with them, is going to go away through difficulty, maybe. Maybe you're going through difficulty. You've gone through a loss recently, and you just, I don't know what I can do. Let me just tell you, through difficulty, you begin to pray. Get your eyes off of yourself and on to others, and healing will come. Through difficulty, we're going to pray. Secondly, through, we're going to pray regularly. What if we decided for the next month daily, we're going to pray for those that we know are far from God and don't know God? What if we said for the next month we're going to pray for them. We're believing God's going to reach them. And we're going to, by name, we're not just going to invite them. We're going to bring them. They're coming to meet Jesus. Hog tied in our pickup truck. Come on. No, don't, don't hog tie anybody. I'm just kidding. Take that off the internet. I don't. They're coming. We're going to bring them. Oh, we just want them to meet Jesus so bad. Let's pray together. 
What if you identified somebody, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's in your friend group, maybe it's um, somebody here at church you don't know, maybe that'd be better for you because your wife, you'll kind of go like, yeah, okay, cool. Um, But maybe you just need to identify a friend and go, hey, let's get together every week for the next month, maybe even on the phone, and let's pray together. I'm going to pray for my guys, gals, you're going to pray for them. You're going to pray for for Brittany. You're going to pray for Tony. We're going to pray for whoever it is. We're going to pray for these guys. And what if we did that together and it didn't just bring unity and purpose and uh, pound heaven for these people, but it also brought unity and community amongst us? What if we did that? Here's here's what I want to close. I think God wants us to reach out to our community with the gospel of Jesus. I think it's going to take a lot of different ways. I think, number one, it's going to be all of us knowing the gospel, understanding the gospel, able to communicate the gospel in any setting. And as a church, we want to equip you to do that. I think coming to church is still, still inviting people to church and coming to church can be a significant way where people can meet Jesus and engage God. And that's a, a, one of the avenues that we'll use. But I think that we underestimate the value of prayer in We do all this, trying our own efforts, without connecting with God and asking God in our hearts. But you and I can't change a heart. That's the freeing thing about bringing people to church and sharing the gospel with people. You can't change a heart. You don't save anybody. Jesus saves. God's the one who transforms hearts. What we do is we communicate the good news. And starting at Easter for four weeks, we're going to very clearly communicate the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just what he does for us in eternity, but what the good news and what it means for us on earth as well. And I hope you'll join me in praying for those that are far from God that we're reaching. Amen? Father, help us reach them. Help us, God. Have a heart to reach your people. Have a heart to reach into the places that... um, that you've placed us, God, places of influence that we may have. Lord, we just ask that you would open up the doors and we would see the good news spread as we take it seriously. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen.